Psalm 119. Psalm 119. We're going to look at the third stanza tonight, verses 17 through 24. And uh, we need God's word. We need God's word. In verses 1 through 8, when we started, the psalmist talked about the blessedness or the happiness that comes to the person who determines, who makes that decision that they're going to live according to the word of God. Then last Sunday in verses 9 through 16, the psalmist suggests the time to start living for God is when you're young, when you're young. Here tonight in verses 17 through 24, the psalmist prays as a servant, a pilgrim in a foreign land who finds himself more and more to be a stranger in this land, which is enemy's country, the enemy's country. This is the enemy's territory that we're living in. What he's asking, he's asking God alone. He's making his request to God alone. And his prayer is especially straight to the point and personal. He speaks with the Lord like somebody who talks with their friend. And that's the way, that, that's what prayer really is, is. It's talking to your friend and God being hopefully our best friend. If we ever feel like we can ignore our daily time with God in his word, then this is the scripture that we all need to read. We need the word of God. Because you see, we are his servants, and in his word, our master gives us directions for the work that he wants us to do. You know, it's kind of like when you go get a job. What do they do? They give you an orientation to the, to the, to the workplace, and they give you an employee handbook. And in that handbook, they give you the directions for employment. There, you know, maybe a dress code, uh, other things that they want you to get familiar, the, the attendance record, and all of these things. So again, that's, that's what the Word of God is to us. If we ever feel like we can ignore our daily time with God in His Word, then this is the Scripture, like I said, we all need to read. So as God's faithful servant, the psalmist who wrote this psalm, is right in there with the category of Moses and Joshua and David, Daniel, James, Paul and Timothy, all of them carried the same title of servant. And that's what we are. We're servants. But each child of God can serve the Lord and have the same title. Everything in creation serves the Lord. Psalm 119, 91 tells us that. And we, who are his redeemed, blood-bought people, we should join in. We should join them. In serving the Lord. He always deals bountifully with his servants and he always provides for them more than enough. So let's begin now with verse 17. As it says, let me find my place here. Verse 17, deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. So the psalmist enjoys confessing and admitting he's a servant of God. What about us? Do we uh, enjoy saying, hey, you know what? I'm a servant of God. And he goes on to say, it's the joy of my heart to serve my God. And from his position as servant, he makes a request to the Lord. Because being a servant, he has some clout with his master. And when I say he has some clout, it's not like, well, you owe me, God. No. The way he asks, it takes away the idea that he's coming Uh, from the position that, Lord, you owe me a favor. Hey, I serve you. You know, I I get a lot of what you want done uh, through through my service. In other words, he's saying, Lord, I'm your servant. 
you're my master. And, and, and you know, he, he's kind of, kind of obligated to answer me. But he's not saying that with disrespect. He's seeking generosity rather than reward. He's saying, Lord, I'm coming because I'm your servant and I'm, I'm asking you know, for your generosity. I'm not saying that you owe me anything. I'm not coming for a reward because I serve you. He is saying, let my wage, God, whatever I'm due, whatever you think I'm due, let it be according to your goodness. Give me according to your goodness and don't give me based on my merit. Don't give it to me based on what I deserve or what I think I deserve. He's saying, Lord, reward me according to the vastness of your kindness and not based on the meagerness of my service to you. Thank God he gives us out of his vast kindness rather than in my service to him. Because if God gave to us out of his goodness based on our service, I don't know how much we get. But we get so much because of his vast generosity. I mean, God is a giver. And that's because God loves us so much. All of God's servants have enough bread and then some. And he won't even let, and he won't even let one of the members of his family starve to death. If the Lord was to treat us as the least of one of his servants, we'd still be more than satisfied. Because you see, all of his servants are sons. And when I read this and I hear this, it reminds me of 2 Samuel 19, 11. Remember, Jonathan had made a covenant with David and said, David, when you're king, he says, you know, take care of my family. And so David went out one day looking for Mephibosheth, one of John's sons, Jonathan's sons. And, and, and he came and he, 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 when he found Mephibosheth and, and, you know, just get to the point, he told Mephibosheth, he said, he said, you shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons continually. See, David here is a picture of Jesus Christ. We sit on the throne with Jesus Christ and we reign in life through him. God gives us the riches of his mercy and his grace, Paul said. And we have, Paul also said, unsearchable riches in Jesus Christ. God supplies all that we need. And he supplies it not out of a king's treasure. Our needs are not supplied out of a king's treasure, but according to his riches and glory. Mephibosheth lived the rest of his life in earthly Jerusalem, that is in this earth, on this earth. But God's children today are already citizens of the heavenly Jerusalem, where they will dwell forever with the Lord. The psalmist felt that his great needs required a generous provision and that his skimpy life and his skimpy service would never earn him as much as he needed. That's why he has to throw himself upon God's mercy and God's grace. And he has to look, all right, he has to look for the great things that he needed from the great goodness and the great supply of the Lord. And again, as Paul said, my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. The psalmist begs for a generous helping of God's grace. And so he prayed here, Lord, you have to give me a lot of mercy or none at all. See, because a little mercy won't meet my need. He says, Lord, notice what he says against verse 17. Deal bountifully with your servant. Give me all that I need. Why? That I might live. He says that I may live. He says, he's saying here, without God's mercy, I can't live. It takes so much grace to keep us alive. 
a lot of grace to, take, to keep Christians alive. Even if life itself is a gift of his generosity that's given to those who are so undeserving as we are, it's still a, it's a, it's a gift. And we need a lot of it. Only the Lord can keep us living. And it's his abundant grace that preserves our life that, that, that we gave up by our, by our sin. It's right to want to live and it's right to pray to live and it's right to give God the credit for long life. And you know what? That long life is credited towards God's great kindness. This natural life that we live now in the flesh that is in this you know, flesh and blood and bones, Without spiritual life, this natural life, hey man, it would be just existing. Just existing from day to day. Spiritual life is also to be desired coming from the Lord's generosity. Because it's the highest work of God's grace and in it, God's generosity is wonderfully shown to us. The Lord's servant, servants, can't serve him. We can't serve him in our own strength. Because, you see, we can't even live unless his grace is abundant towards us. Notice again, he says, deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and do what? Keep your word. I need his abundant grace in order to live and in order to keep his word. And this should be true. Uh, This should be the rule and the goal and the joy of our life for all of us. We might not wish to live, in, to live and sin, but we may pray to live and keep God's word. Living, like I said, is a poor existence if, God's, uh, if, if not you know, good living, if we're not living for God. Life is really only worth keeping while we can keep God's word. There's no life in the most important sense apart from holiness. Life, while we break the law, again, that's just existing. The New Testament emphasis is not on happiness, but on holiness. And this is something the church needs to grasp. The New Testament emphasis is not on happiness, but on holiness. And there's so much preached about us being happy today. Yes, God wants us to be happy, but not, happy, not, but not uh, happier than, than holiness. So many people are into happiness today. And I've seen and heard over the years people when they're going through trials and they're having a difficult time in life and, and things are just tough, tough for them. Some Christians will come along and say, oh, you know what? You know, th- this isn't meant for you. God doesn't want you to be unhappy. And they become little gods. Really? You know what's best for them? You know that God doesn't want them to be unhappy. It's not for a purpose. I mean, it's not just some random reason that they're going through some difficulty. But understand, God is more concerned with the state of people's hearts than with the state of their feelings. A.W. Tozer said, ask him never to give you more happiness than holiness. The prayer in this verse, verse 1, shows that it's only through God's generosity or God's grace that we can live as faithful servants of God and show obedience to his word. If we give God our life for his service, it's only because he gives us grace. We work for him or we serve him. Why? Because he works in us. So 
we can make a connection out of the first verses from the first three stanzas of this psalm, that is verses 1 through 24. Verse 1 blesses the holy man. Verse 9 asks how can we achieve this holiness. And verse 17 traces this holiness to its source. And it shows us how to seek the blessing. The more a man or a woman values holiness, and the more sincerely they strive to get it, the more they'll be motivated to go to God for help in it. Because you see, he'll clearly recognize, this man or woman will clearly recognize that, that in their own strength, it's not enough for them. And they can't even so much as live without the generous help of their God. Now verse 18. The psalmist goes on to say, Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. So God says, uh, so the psalmist said, deal bountifully with your servant so that I can live, so that I can keep your word, and so that I might open my eyes, Lord, that I might see wondrous things from your law. Not only are we servants, but you know what? We're also students. And our basic manual for life is the word of God, the Bible. And again, the word the Bible it's an acronym for basic instructions before leaving earth. Basic instructions before leaving earth. And that's what the Bible is. Basic instructions for life. It's God's you know, manual to us. Unless God opens our eyes, we will never see the wonderful things that are hidden in the pages of God's word. Psalm 119, 129 says, God's word is wonderful. His works are wonderful. His love is wonderful. And we must meditate on the wonder of his person, his truth, and his mighty works. You know, eyes have an appetite, don't they? They're always looking for something. That's why Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 1.8, the eye is not satisfied with seeing. It's always looking for something new. Always something to, to, to fix their eyes on. So we have to be careful where we look. We have to be careful what we're focusing our eyes on. You see, eyes that feast on vain things, the vanities of this world, they will never see the wonder in God's word. Solomon said in Proverbs 25, 25 15, my eyes are ever toward the Lord. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, 37, turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things. The psalmist said in Psalm 141, 8, but my eyes are upon you, O God, the Lord. This is a part of the generous dealing that he asked for, that the psalmist asked for. No gift is greater than how much it benefits us. What good is a gift if it doesn't benefit us? Or our soul or our mind. And its benefit, the benefit of the eye, is so great. You know, the, the eye is such an incredible organ. But you know what? It doesn't do us any good if we can't see the things that we need to see. It's a lot better to have the eyes opened than to be in a position of great responsibility and remain blind to the beauty of the eyes. The psalmist prayed here, Lord, open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. Some men can't see any wonders in the word of God. 
But the psalmist was positive. He was positive. You know what? There are wonderful things in God's word. And there are. And the, and the psalmist didn't have half the Bible. He only, you know, he didn't have half the Bible that we have tonight. But, but, but he treasured what he did have more than some people treasure the whole word of God. And the psalmist felt that God had, had, had put great gifts in his word. And the psalmist is begging God to help him to be able to recognize and appreciate and enjoy the beautiful gifts that are in the word of God. We don't need to ask God to give us more benefits. We don't need to ask God to give us more blessings. We need to ask him to help us see what he's already given us. We don't need new truths today. We need a renewed love for what he's already given us. We need a renewed interest and love and obedience to the truth that we already have in his word. And the psalmist's prayer suggests that there's a darkness. He's admitting, you know what, there's a darkness in my eyes. He's aware of it. He's, he's admitting there's a dimness to my spiritual vision. There's a powerlessness to remove that deficiency. I can't remove it, Lord. Please remove that darkness from my eyes. Remove the blinders or the, or the scales that I have over my eyes. He's fully aware that God can do it. That God can remove that darkness from his eyes. You see, it shows also that the psalmist knew that there were great treasures in the word of God that he hasn't fully seen yet. Great wonders that hadn't, that hadn't been seen yet. Mysteries that he'd only just believed. And the scriptures, you guys, are filled with wonders. The Bible, hey, the Bible is a wonderland. The Bible is a treasure trove. It is a grab bag of spiritual goodies. It, it not only relates miracles, but it, it's, but it itself is a whole world of wonders. But here's the thing. What good are all these things to closed eyes? And there's a saying that says, there are none so blind who choose not to see. What man, what woman can open their own eyes? Because you see, we're born spiritually blind. God himself has to reveal himself to each person's heart scriptures need to be open but not half as much as our eyes need to be open because you see the blindness isn't in the book the blindness is not in the bible the blindness is in our hearts the bible is filled with perfect instructions it has valuable promises to us it has priceless privileges for us that are neglected by us. Why? Because we wander among them. We just glance through them. We don't get into them. It's like a blind man walking through a beautiful flower garden. He doesn't see a thing. The psalmist had some spiritual insight. He had to have had some spiritual insight or he would have never known that, about that, that there were wondrous things to be seen. And he wouldn't have prayed this prayer either. Oh, Lord, open my eyes. But you see, what he had seen was enough to let him know there was more. What he had seen was enough to want to see more and to see it clearer. 
Proverbs 29, 18 says, Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint, but happy is he who keeps the law. What Solomon is saying there is that without God's word, people abandon themselves to their own sinful ways. They do what's right in their own eyes. But on the other hand, keeping God's law or obeying God's law, it brings happiness to us. And this is what the psalmist wanted. The desire of the psalmist proved how real his spiritual perception was. Because it's a sign of the true knowledge of God that it causes those who have spiritual perception to thirst for deeper knowledge to want more. So the psalmist's prayer in this verse is a good continuation. Notice to verse 10 when he said, With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Who's more likely to wander than a blind man? Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3, 14 through 16, he said, but their minds were blinded, speaking of the Jews, but their minds were blinded. He said, for until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. The God of this world has blinded the unbelieving people. And the psalmist also said here, with my whole heart I have sought you, Lord. That's why he desires to see the object of his search. He wants to see God. The knowledge and the observance or the knowledge and the obedience of God's word is the goal of our life. It should be the goal of the Christian's life. It's a strength and a comfort also in time of hostility and persecution. There's a lot of reference all through this psalm about the trials that the psalmist has been through or gone through. And with the psalmist, it seems that these persecutions came as a result of his determination to hold fast, that is, obey God's word. And you know what? It's the same thing for us today, for Christians today. Jesus said in John 15, 18 through 21, If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. They will do all this to you because of me, because they have rejected the one who has sent me. Here's the point. The closer you walk in God's word, the more you live like Jesus Christ, the greater you'll be persecuted. And there's more than just trials and tribulations. There are persecutions for righteousness' sake, Jesus said in Matthew 5.10. We read in Acts 14.22, we must, notice, we must, not we might, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Again, there's one of those promises that we don't particularly highlight and talk about. Verse 19 now. The psalmist goes on to say, I am a stranger in the earth. Do not hide your commandments from me. Just like the ancient patriarchs, the patriarchs of old, we today are also strangers on this earth. That's why we need the Lord's guidance as we walk this pilgrim road. 
Now, you know, the, the laws for driving here are different from the laws in other countries. And, you know, and it's dangerous to confuse the two because you could get in a serious accident or get in trouble with the law. Let's say you go to Europe, you rent a car, you're driving down the highway, you see the speed limit sign, oh, 80 kilometers, but, you know, you're thinking it's 80 miles per hour. So you think, wow, this is great, I wish I could drive this fast in the States. So you're cruising down the road at 80 80 miles per hour instead of 80 kilometers per hour, so you'd really be traveling at 128 miles an hour. You better know the law. And I don't know if you've heard it before, but I've heard it from Blaisman back in the old days. And I get a ticket. He says, he says, you need to know the law if you're going to park in this city. And I remember parking in front of my mom's house one time in Covina. You couldn't be there after midnight. I didn't know that. He said, well, if you're going to park in the streets, you better know what the laws are. Because, again, ignorance is not an excuse. So, again, <clears throat> God's people are being led on the narrow road that leads to eternal life. Now, the people of the world, on the other hand, they're walking on the broad road that leads to destruction. And the laws are different traveling those two roads. Just like the cloud and the fiery pillar led Israel in their wilderness journey. That's the way the word of God leads us today. And the psalmist here felt a heavy burden to read and to meditate upon God's laws. And he wasn't embarrassed and he wasn't too proud to ask the Lord for directions. And if we take time to meditate on the word of God and to seek the Lord, God will show us the path of life. The psalmist called himself a stranger in the earth. Because you see, he felt the hostility of the world. He felt the separation between him and the world. Because you see, we serve a different master. And we obey a different set of laws. And our citizenship is not here. Our citizenship is in another country. We're different from the people, the lost people that Jesus called in Luke 16, 8, the children of this world. We're not children of this world. Because you see, we won't conform to this world. We won't conform to its ways. The world opposes and persecutes us, persecutes us because of this. Because we don't conform to this world and we don't conform to its ways. We follow a whole different set of laws. The psalmist was a stranger in the world for God's sake. And if he wasn't, he would have been as comfortable on the earth as those who are truly at home on the earth. He wasn't a stranger to God. He was a stranger to the world. He wasn't a friend of this world. He was a friend of God. He was a displaced man as long as he was not in heaven. And we are too. We're like fish out of water. That's why he prayed, notice, don't hide your commandments from me, Lord. Because if you hide your commandments from me, Lord, what else do I have? Think about it. If we don't have God's word, what else do we have? Lord, what will I do? The psalmist is saying, if I don't know your commandments, if I don't see your commandments, because they're the only way that I can guide my steps to the land where you are. Isn't that where we all want to go? To where the Heavenly Father is? Jeremiah 10, 23, he said, Oh Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. You see, that's why we need a shepherd. The psalmist said in Psalm 50, verse 11, The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought. 
So the psalmist here suggests that God's commands is what, conf- uh, com- what conf- comforted him while he was away from home. It's what comforted him here on earth as long as he was out of heaven. You know, he's in exile as long as he's on earth. And, his, and God's word, God's commandments, they reminded him of home. They showed him how to get there. So he begged the Lord that, that, that they, the word of God, might never be hidden from him. In other words, Lord, not being under, able to understand your word or obey them, I'm lost. If spiritual light is removed from his commands, they're hidden from him. If spiritual light is removed from his commandments, they're hidden from him. What what would be the use of having opened eyes if the best things to see were hidden from my view? So while we wander here on this earth, we can endure everything that happens to us with patience if, if the word of God is applied to our hearts by the spirit of God. But if the heavenly things that is the source of our peace are hidden from our eyes, we're in a bad place. It would be like, it would be like being on the ocean without a compass. This prayer is an addition to what he says in verse 18, open my eyes. As the one prays to see. The other disapproves of not being able to see. The command's being hidden, so they'll be out of sight. Lord, open my eyes so I can see the things I can't see, but also, Lord, so that I can see the things that are, that, that, you know, that, that are hidden from me, that are so, they're so out of sight. The prayers of the psalmist are right on. Because, you see, he's a servant. He asks for opened eyes that his eyes may also be towards his Lord. That's the way the eyes of a servant should be. The eyes of a servant should be towards the Lord. Like a stranger, the the psalmist is begging here that he may not be strange to the way that he's to walk towards his home. You see, his entire dependence is upon God alone. Verse 20. He says, My soul breaks with longing for your judgments at all times. True godliness depends very much on in what we desire. Because you see, we're not what we shall be, so we're also not what we should be. The desires of gracious men and women to be holy are strong. And those desires, they, they weigh heavy on us. It's like, like, it's like wear and tear on our heart. They're a burden to us. And a good burden. It's a straining of the mind until it feels like it's ready to snap from that desire. I want it so bad. You see, if you highly value God's word, it will cause you to have a strong desire to know it and to do it. And this weighs heavy on the heart to the point of breaking under those desires. What a blessing it is when all of our desires are for the things of God. As Jesus said, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I mean, it would be so great if this was the desire of all Christians all the time. The psalmist here, man, he had such a reverence for God's word. He had such a desire to know God's word. He had such a desire to be conformed by God's word. So much so that his desires caused him a kind of broken heart. And he's bringing it before the Lord. 
And when the soul wants something so bad until it breaks, it, it, it won't be long until that blessing comes. That most, the, the most intimate communion between our soul and God is accomplished by the process that's described here. That is, God reveals his will, and our heart wants to conform to it. And notice that our desire for the mind of God should be constant. Our desire to know and to do the will of God should be all the time. We should feel holy desires at all times. Desires, you know what, that can't be turned on and off like, like, like water from our faucets whenever we want it to be. And maybe it's because they're not really desires. If we can turn them off and on like our water faucets, maybe they're not real desires. Maybe it's caused by our emotions resulting from excitement. And if it's from our emotions, that, ex- that, that, that feeling of excitement, it will die. Or I should say that emotion will die when the excitement wears off. We need to know the difference. The man or a woman who always wants to know and to do right is the person who has the true desires. And you know what? Their judgment will be sound. It will be healthy because they love all of God's judgments and they follow them faithfully. Where they go, what they do, their comings and goings will be good because why? They want to do good and they want to do good all the time, not just when they feel like it. Verse 21. You rebuke, you rebuke the proud, you cursed the Uh, You rebuke the proud, the cursed, who stray from your commandments. This is one of God's judgments to the proud. Proud men are cursed men. Nobody blesses them, and they soon become a burden to themselves. And there seems to be a law of nature that proud men are unhappy men. He says, and who, who stray from your commandments, Lord? Only humble hearts are obedient. Why? Because they will submit to rules and to government. Pride lies at the root of all sin. And if men weren't so arrogant, they wouldn't be so disobedient. God rebukes pride because he sees rebellion in it. Rebellion against himself and the seeds of even more rebellion in pride. Verses 22 through 23. So the psalmist says, Remove from me reproach and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies, princes, also sit and speak against me, but your servant meditates on your statutes. Another way that the psalmist feels like a stranger in the earth was the slander that was spoken against him here, he says, by princes or the rulers. And he was accused of things that that weren't true, things that he didn't do. Not fitting in. In this world is hard enough, but to be falsely accused when we're really trying to live for God and to do good, good for God is even worse. In verse 22, the psalmist prays, asking the Lord to remove the reproach and the contempt from him that covered him. And in his prayer, he says that these false accusations are because he was being true to God's word. But in contrast, these princes, he says, these rulers, whoever they were, whoever he was talking about, while they were slandering his name, he was meditating upon God's statutes, his word. When we're falsely accused, all we can do is take our problem to the Lord. And you know what? He'll justify us in his own time. 
Psalm 37, 5 through 6 says, Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him. And notice, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. You see, if we're misunderstood, if we're misinterpreted, if we're lied about, slandered, falsely accused, whatever it might be, God will clear us in his time. But until he does, we have to keep on studying the word of God. We have to keep on living for the, word, for the, God, for the Lord God the best that we can. Verse 24. He goes on to say, Your testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. The psalmist needed wisdom. He needed wisdom to know how to handle these difficult situations that he was going through. And you know where he found it? In the counsel of God's word. Instead of listening to the enemy's lies and the enemy's slander, instead of allowing those things to bring him down, what did he do? He meditated upon God's truth. That's the best way to keep your mind clear, to keep it clean, and to keep it confident. The Lord's testimonies weren't just different subjects to think about. They were also sources of joy, and they were also a way of guidance. You see, while the psalmist's enemies were counseling with each other and slandering him and coming against him, the godly psalmist took counsel with the word of God. God, what should I do? How should I handle this? Sometimes our enemies try to drive us from our place of refuge. They try to drive us from our comfort in the Lord. They try to take away our peace with all of these noisy threats and slanderings. And the enemy took pleasure in this. It was the enemy's joy and pleasure to slander the psalmist. But yet the psalmist delighted in the word of God. He delighted in God's testimonies. So in closing, God's word serves us in so many different ways. And for many different purposes. When we're sad and when we're grieving, there are delights. And in our difficulties, they guide us. And we get great joy from them. And we learn wisdom from them. We get comfort from them. And if we want to find comfort in the word of God, in the scripture, we have to submit to the counsel that they give us. And you know, and this is, it's so important to understand. If we want help in the things that we need help in, if we want, you know, if, if we want, again, um, to find comfort, whatever it is we're looking for in the scriptures, we have to be willing to submit to what it says. And this is one of the things I find so, so strange. I don't know why I find it strange, but I do, is, is that many times in marriage counseling, the couple will come in. The bottom line is they're not obeying God's word. They know God's word, but they're not obeying. It's like they want a, a magic pill or a magic potion to make things change. You have to change if you want your marriage to change. And I tell them it's like this. You, go, you know, you're feeling sick. You know something's not right. You go to the doctor, and the doctor examines you, and he says, yeah, I, I know what's wrong. He says, here's what you need to do. And he writes you out a prescription. And he says, well, the medicine is not... It's not real pleasant, but you know what? Take it all and you'll get better. 
Now, once you leave that doctor's office, the responsibility is yours. The doctor is done. Now, if you decide I'm not going to take the prescription, I'm not, don't go blaming the doctor. It's your fault. And that's what a lot of people do when, you, when they come in for marriage counseling. This is what needs to be done. This is what God's word says. Now, when you leave here, you aren't going to be able to point your finger at me or God and say, hey, it didn't work. I'm giving you God's word, not my opinion. And so, again, it's the same thing. If we are going to look to God's word for counsel, we need to submit to it. Or it's, it doesn't. Why go to a doctor if you're not going to listen to what he says? It's the same thing. God says, you come to my word, submit to my counsel. Listen what I tell you. It's important. We have to come to the word of God, seeking his counsel with a willing heart and with joy. And this is the safest way of dealing with those who plan evil against you and who scheme against you to try to ruin you. But we need to pay more attention to the true word of God than to focus and listen to the lies that the enemies are saying about us. The best answer to give to those who lie about us, talk about us, slander us, is the word of God. Like David said in Psalm 109, hey, they're talking about me, they're lying about me, but he says, I delight in prayer. I delight myself in prayer. So you guys can talk about me all you want, I'm going to pray. So in verse 16, the psalmist said, I will delight myself in your statutes. And here he says, they, your statutes are my delight. So promises made in God's strength, hey, they will come to pass. And spiritual desires are actually fulfilled. The very thing, like I said, I've told them, you want this to change, you want this to, to be all the, the best it can be, do what the Bible says. You will be fulfilled. It would be the same if everything that we do, as the psalmist did reading these verses, we will be completely fulfilled. Father, thank you so much for your precious word, God. Thank you so much for the wisdom of your spirit, Lord. And again, Lord, your counsel. Lord, there's nothing like it, God. Nothing like it, Father. And Father, if we want fulfilled lives, if we want blessed lives, if we want holy lives, it comes through reading the word and applying the word. And if you want a saved life, if you want eternal life, it comes through obeying the scriptures. And Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That's God's word. That's God's way. God's way. And everyone must come to God his way. We can't come any other way. And if we never and when if we don't make it to heaven, we can't blame God. If one sp spends eternity in hell, he can't blame God.
The worship team is going to lead us in a time of worship right now. And if you're here tonight and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, but through this word tonight, God's word tonight, God spoke into your heart. And as the psalmist said, Lord, you know, show me your way. Show me your word that I might walk this pilgrim road. May that be your desire tonight. As the worship team leads us in this time of worship, if you want us to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you get up out of your seat. You make your way down the aisles towards the steps up front. I'll meet you there. And when the song's over, we'll pray together a simple prayer of faith.